0: Welcome to the Normalizing Average Podcast. Join us as we dive into the stories behind the people who have overcome setbacks to achieve success, celebrating the average moments on the path to extraordinary results. Let's go. Welcome, welcome welcome guys we are back with the normalizing average podcast i am one of your hosts eve duke i am also here with amy eburn and our phenomenal guest, who are so excited about lee allison lee is the owner and head glass blower at biggity glassworks she's been working in glass for over 18 years and in 2018 she opened her own studio here in revelstoke bc canada which is so exciting she fell in love with the art of glass, blowing the first time trying it out and absolutely knew it was what she was going to do for the rest of her life, which is a topic that I'd like to dive into because not everybody is fortunate enough to find their passion so young in life and be able to do it for most of or all of their career. Um, you can catch her blowing glass at the studio every week or one of their lives on the Big Glassworks Instagram. They specialize in functional glass and you can purchase their awesome stuff online or in the studio seven days a week. Lee. This is (laughs) thank you for coming on um so I think I asked you a little while ago and I couldn't remember what our answer what your answer was but how many and this is almost just to give context for glass blowing roughly like ballpark how many studios do you think there are in Canada glass blowing studios less like kind of like less than more than I think it was less than 50 was it not I yeah definitely less than 50
1: yeah I would say I mean there's a few like teeny little shops of people that are just doing it, you know, in their backyards that maybe we don't know about, but it's not a lot. That's for sure. There's probably more in the city of Seattle than there are in Canada.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Jeez. Um, that is so impressive. Could you tell us about, just tell us how you got here. What's your, what's your backstory? My backstory? Well, (laughs) actually I started out as a chef
1: Um, I went to cooking school and I cooked for years and that was my passion and I was never going to stop doing that. And then I made one glass bead and I was like, okay, get out of here cooking. I, now I make glass for my living.
0: Have that bead? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, do I still have it? I don't think so.
0: I don't know. Maybe (laughs) like framed in the shop with like your first dollar. (laughs)
1: That's where it all began. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's probably somewhere actually, but I don't know if I would recognize it anymore because, I've made of all the things I've made in my life beads I've made so many lots and lots and lots because it's been actually 20 years now of glass yeah I I need to change my bio on my website
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's 2022 it's funny how that happens yeah
2: yeah oh boy
0: (laughs) okay so you started glass blowing you did the bead you were hooked bye-bye being a chef hello
1: glass blowing yeah It wasn't immediate, but, um, I had to, I still had to keep cooking to, you know, pay the bills. Um, and then here and there I've had to cook throughout my career of glass as well. Um, but yeah, always glass was the thing that got me the most, the thing I wanted to do all the time.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then what was your history? Like, what did you, where did you learn? Where did you train? I trade. I learned at Big Bavin Glassworks
1: actually in Invermere, and it's a family business that was started in 1988 by Pat Bavin, and then taken over by his son Ryan. And I worked there from 2001 until four years ago, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I taught myself how to make beads out of a book, so mm-hmm. I did that because there's a few books out in the world that are like step by step how to set up a studio and make things so I did that and then being in the glass shop was very helpful because even though no one else was making beads there were like Ryan and his dad knew about glass Mm -hmm. you know and there was a few of us that started making beads at that time and so we just kept going and then I started teaching classes on how to make beads probably six months after I started making them yeah yeah and was that out of Babin I was out of Bavin glass. And yeah, I stopped counting after like a thousand students. <laughs> and I was like, whoo. And then we started training other, there was other bead makers that worked there by then. And at one point there was 11 of us that worked there and taught classes and made beads.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I did that. But I always wanted to blow glass. And so I would work towards more and more time in the glass shop, the hot shop.
0: Yeah. 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 What was the first thing that you, after beads, what was the first thing that you like properly blew? <laughs> um, Probably the
1: first thing I made was like a paperweight, you know, yes. paperweights and little teeny like mushrooms and things. But the first thing I ever made was a cup. Cups have always been the thing I've liked the most. So,
0: yeah. And yeah. that's what you guys, like we we're saying functional glass is primarily what's in the shop. So stuff that you would use on a day-to-day basis. And I think specializing even further into glassware and drinkware and barware and all the fun stuff that comes along with that. Um, And then, so what, how did you end up or when did you first have the concept that it's like, okay, I'm running this program, I'm teaching all these students and I want to open up my own studio. Well,
1: I've had, I moved to Revelstoke and then opening up a studio was a necessity at that point (laughs) because there aren't, because there aren't a lot of shops in BC, like there's one in Invermere, there's one in Crawford Bay, there's a couple in Vancouver, a couple on the island, and that's it. Yeah. So I commuted back and forth to Invermere for like four years. Yeah. And I would leave here Thursday morning, go straight to the glass shop, and then I would stay with friends, and I would come home Monday after work and do my laundry, hang out with my husband, and my cat, and then I would go back. So that was getting like unsustainable. Obviously, I couldn't do it for the rest of my life. It's a three hour drive Mm -hmm. and sometimes the pass is crazy. And on one night driving home on a Monday in December, in a blizzard, in my tiny car, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I had some pretty gnarly drives on that road and the middle of winter and it's so dark. And also I was never in Revelstoke and I just want to be here. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. It gets harder and harder to leave, especially in the winter. the exact same thing happened to me. Like I was doing events when I first moved here in Lake Louise and I would drive down there on a weekend, on a Friday, drive back up on a Monday and very similar. And one day it was like terrible blizzard or first thing in the morning. And like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't sustainable at all. Yeah. So was the initial idea, okay, I'm going to do build a studio of my own in my backyard or was it this like big vision glass studio from day one? Well, actually, so
1: when, so Rob, my husband, the reason I moved to town, he, when we first got together, he was like, um, I'm going to build a glass shop for you one day. And so we started working on the idea of it pretty much since we met, but it was going to be in the backyard. It was just going to be a really small shop and I was going to blow glass for a month and then turn it off for a month. And like, I don't know, recreate or something, but like time off is not my jam usually, (laughs) so um, we I was like, Can I do in a month? Like, who's that's crazy. So, but we actually couldn't get a building permit to build it in our backyard because the neighborhood in Revelstoke they live in the Big Eddy. Um, we had to redo the water. The whole neighborhood was getting a water upgrade, and so they weren't giving out permits because we were too far from a hydrant. Jeez. So we were like, well, now what? Where do we find a building? And I already knew I wanted to call it Big Eddy Glassworks, so it had to be in the Big Eddy. Yeah. So we just went around and like knocked on people's doors and said, do you have a space here? Do you want to sell it or rent it? And we found a building that they did want to sell it.
2: No way.
1: And They didn't even know they wanted to sell it until Rob, actually I was cooking. I used to cook for Kapow a little bit. And so, cause you said you're going to have Marty on. So I was working for Marty and I went up into the back country and I was cooking for ski touring. Camp and then Rob just got up one day and walked down the street and said, Do you guys want to sell this building? And they
0: said, Yeah, we do. But cool. four years later
1: is like, when it happened. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's crazy. I didn't know that's how you guys found the building.
1: Yeah. But actually, Scott, your husband, is the first person that mentioned that building to us in the first place. And those guys weren't interested in selling. And it was our wedding and Scott was talking to me about it. And you're like, Scott, leave her alone. It's her wedding. Just want to talk about this crappy old building down the street. <laughs> but then later on, like two years later, Rob was like, hey, that building. So
0: yeah, yeah. that building down the street, we bought it. Yeah, yeah. it's ours now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really crappy and now it's getting better. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And then so mm-hmm. do you want to elaborate on kind of like what the like your space and then also kind of what it's what it started out as and then what it's become now because it's very different. You guys have put in so much work and there's mm-hmm. I know behind the scenes that there's a big vision along with it. But do you want to share that? Sure. Yeah.
1: Um yeah when I first opened it up, I was just like I need a glass blowing studio and here it is. You know, so the building was in the in the 80s, it was a dairy storage. So it was called the Noka Dairy. And then it was called, and then Dairyland bought it. So Dairyland would come and one half was a freezer. Oh, I have a big ficus here. <laughs> <Just smash laughs> it. Um, one half was a fridge and one half was a freezer. So the, they would back up and pick up all the dairy. They would deliver it around Revelstoke. And then for some reason, they moved the dairy and that place was empty since the early 80s. Yeah, And so it had a lot of work that it needed and a lot of really weird old cork insulation. It took basically a year to get that building to be nice and to get the uh, permits from the city to open up with this business and get all my equipment. And then, um, yeah, and then past opening it, I had no real plans. I was just like, I'm building a glass blowing studio and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then as like, I started getting customers and I started getting busier, then I was like, I guess I should hire some people and really build this thing. And I love to throw parties, but sporadically, like not too often. And, um, May or Friday the 13th is like a very big deal for me since I was a kid and turned 13 on a Friday. So every Friday the 13th, I have a party and I had a grand opening party and then a Christmas market and, and then COVID happened. And then I closed down for a couple of months. And then somehow in the last two years, I now have um, a bunch of babes that work at the glass shop and we throw like at least three parties a year and just have so much fun all the time at work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's oh, so many things that I want to touch on here. Maybe the first one that we'll start with is just how maybe, and I don't know if I fully understand this, but maybe you can elaborate on it uh, there's a lot of businesses that didn't make it through COVID and a lot of business owners, I think that make it, didn't make it through COVID. And yet you guys grew a lot. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, where did, where did that come from? Like, what do you think that uh, contributed to that? Because you're a glass studio, like a niche market in a niche town, like a tiny town. Right. And mm-hmm. during a pandemic. And I know.
1: I feel like a community lot community. of it, oh yeah. sorry Eve sorry no,
2: yeah,
1: okay that's okay. It. okay um I think a lot of people when things shut down and people didn't know what to do with themselves that there was a lot of push from like local government or like just government in general like a lot of messaging that was like support local you know yeah. so I think a lot of people took that to heart and especially in a town like this where the community is so important and whether that's like locals or visitors like the people that come here I think are really special. And the people that stay are just, you know, everybody loves this town. And I think everyone just like looked for ways they could support Mm -hmm. other businesses and other people. You know, like when they were saying, buy gift cards from your favorite restaurants and, you know, do all these things. So I think a lot of people then were like, well, I need to buy a present for somebody. So maybe I'll find someone in town that makes something. And then also we do workshops, which have been very limited in the last two years, but there's a real push for people that wanna do things themselves. And try things out and make the make their own stuff and I can relate I mean I'll make I'll try to make every single thing I can before I'll buy it mm-hmm. every time like yeah. sure I could sew that or grow that or build that I don't know I have a stable gun I can you can put so many things together like you know so I think <laughs> the fact that we offer a place for people to hang out and make things too that really brought some people in mm. and yeah I don't know we just kept doing what we were doing and just did it even bigger and included more people. And I think that just brought people in.
0: Yeah, I think for some people, like some business owners, it might even just be a, a glass half empty, glass half full kind of thing. Whereas if you look at, okay, here I am in this scenario, never been in before, nobody knows what's happening. It's this huge time of unknown. And then some people are able to, what I've seen, take that. Some business leaders can take that and use that as fuel. Or you And use that to, to pivot, to adapt, to, and be creative and find creative, creative problem solve their way out of this and then have ended up growing. And I think you're, you're one of those people and maybe it's, and then some other, maybe some other business owners, it's, they look at it like, okay, well, I'm, I'm screwed. I don't know how to get out of this. And maybe there, there's something in there that's not clicking that mm-hmm. is a block that they can't get through.
1: I think so too. Like,
0: I mean, if you look back,
1: you know, when people used to use the phone book, like the physical phone book to look for things. So then when that industry goes away, like something else happens. So then you have to, you know, be in the newspaper, like you have to always find where the people are and treat, try to connect with them that way. So yeah, like nobody's using the phone book. So I don't advertise in the phone book (laughs) or, you know, like people are on social media. So I'm trying to be on social media and um, like also like, what did we do with those two months? Like you cried for a bit. You made lots of cocktails, yeah. you ate lots of snacks. <laughs> and then I like went back to work and I just started taking photos of every single thing in my store. And then I started giving things away, you know, like take a photo of your favorite glass and tag me in it. And then I'll give you a free one to the best photo, like yeah. things like that. And then, yeah, so I just kept trying to reach out to people, but it was kind of like more for me, I guess. Cause I'm like, we're all in the same boat and I didn't know what to do with myself. So I was like, well, maybe you'll talk to me on Instagram because I can't see you in real life. Yeah. And then there were some things like that night market that was at the trading post. The one that happened in may of 2020, that was like the first thing I think people had done in months yeah. and it was yeah. so cool yeah. to see people. And I think that was what started it for me too. Cause a lot of people came to that market who I'd never met and had bought a glass. Cause I was giving them on like crazy sale Mm -hmm. and yeah that's how I found like one of my staff members and just a bunch of people I think that were like how do I how do I support the people in this town
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and trying like there's definitely a theme of trying different things that's like let's give stuff away let's grow our grow our social media the one thing we're not doing is stopping Mm -hmm. yeah yeah stop for two I was Go gonna ahead.
1: say I stopped blowing glass for a couple of months because like my business has a very high overhead mm-hmm. and I couldn't quite figure out how I was gonna pay my bills with all my stuff on. But then after that, yeah, I'm just like, we'll just keep figuring out ways to make it work. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm responsible for other people, not just myself. So
2: <laughs> And that's what I'm sort of fascinated with is like the equipment that you need for this profession. Like, can you run us through sort of like even just like basic startup? equipment that you need sure
1: um yeah it's very specialized the glass blowing stuff of course it's like people can pardon me can like home make some of the equipment but they have to go through a lot of like approvals like csa and everything so i just decided to skip that and just buy it from a manufacturer that makes glass blowing equipment and they're in portland and they're friends of mine and they're glass blowers so they make stuff for glass blowers and yeah, I have a furnace that holds my glass at molten. It's at 2125 Fahrenheit. Everything's in Fahrenheit in my shop um, because they're in Portland. And actually, they were like, dude, we forgot you're from Canada. So everything's in Fahrenheit. Um, so it's 2125. And then I have a reheat furnace, which is called a glory hole. And it's been called that for centuries. So that's what we stick with and that gets to about 2500 degrees fahrenheit and that we turn on and off every day and the furnace is on it takes four days to get hot and when it's on it's on Mm -hmm. and so i turn it off as little as possible but every year or so my crucible the pot that holds the molten glass uh gets worn out because the molten glass is corrosive so i have to change out the pot because what happened was i pushed my luck in january and i had molten glass pouring out because I didn't want to stop blowing glass. But um, anyway, I have a new system for the future. (laughs) That doesn't happen. Um, So we're all picturing like a lava flow. (laughs) Yeah, but it was contained within. So it's a pot that sits on a base behind all these bricks. And then the glass was in there. It was about like six inches deep of molten glass. So yeah, it was a new adventure to learn um, (laughs) how to handle that. Because that's the thing too, is like new things happen all the time. And you're just like, I don't know. How do I figure this out? You just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Equipment. I also have some kilns. I have some ovens that one is a preheat like to pick up color. So it'll heat up to 1050 degrees. And that's where I preheat some color before it goes into the big 2500 degree glory hole. And then I have an annealing kiln and oven that will slowly cool the glass down. And then a glassblowing bench and a Marver table. And the Marver table is a cast steel table that I roll the glass on to shape it and cool it. And then the bench, I mean, it's very standard. Like every shop has a bench and they're all set up the same. And most glassblowing in all of the world is the same. So it's very handy that way. You could blow glass with someone that doesn't even speak the same language. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. This is so wild. Like it's just such a, Such a big endeavor like so even just explaining that to the average human it's like these are big major purchases and and consistent big overhead right and equipment to manage were you ever afraid of. I don't know getting in like getting into that That's probably a big thing that stops a lot of people they're like okay this is not, I'm not opening up like a cupcake shop or an ice cream shop. Yeah. which is a dream of mine. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> which would be a like, yeah, a cakewalk compared to a glass studio. So were you ever afraid of diving in?
1: No, I don't know. I, there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm afraid of, but this was not one of them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. just
1: think sometimes that like, I'm more of a, like, I'll sweat the small stuff, you know, but I don't sweat the big stuff. I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh yeah, I'm going to open a glass shop. I mean, sure. It's like, in equipment, but it's fine. I'll find it, I'll figure it out. And I'm lucky that Rob is such a good supporter and like wants me to succeed. And is like, let's just do this thing. Mm -hmm. So we both have a very um, high level of risk tolerance, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be huge. That'd be a big, big, big element. What about during like, just on the subject of fear, what do you think if anything, was there a point where you were the most afraid running your business or moving forward?
1: Actually, that would probably be this January, January, February this year, we're uh, tough financially because we're in like, you know, a ski town where the people fluctuate, you know, the visitors come and go and the locals stay in or out. And um, since we grew so much in the last two years, my expan- my expenses have grown, my payroll has grown. And like the biggest thing for me is that makes me afraid is that I don't want to cut anyone's hours. I don't want to say I can't pay you guys this week. Like, so that's been a big, that's the biggest thing that frightens me is mm-hmm. not having enough money to pay my staff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a huge, like I remember same boat because it's one thing if you're supporting yourself, you can like eat whatever you got to eat or like <laughs> run up whatever you got to run up and dead at bills or whatever. But once you have other people you're responsible for and their livelihoods and their rent and their groceries. And yeah, that's a huge responsibility for a business owner. That's like part of what in my own mind through no factual classification I put as like a true entrepreneur is like, okay, you can start your own thing as a solopreneur, but once you have humans that you're responsible for, now you're truly in the business owner, entrepreneurship category in my personal definition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's wild. Cause I just, I want to pay them. I wish I could pay them double. And I just want to take them on vacation and like all these things,
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: that was the biggest thing. That was the, the biggest, that's the biggest fear, I guess that I have. And the thing that didn't really connect in my brain with how much money I needed to make to run this business successfully was like, including like, I know what my hydro bill is and I know what my equipment costs. I know what my raw materials costs. And then now that there's these people, I'm like, oh, it's like way more than I thought. And it would have just taken some simple math, but I just sometimes like, you know, Eve, when I first met Eve and we started working together, I didn't even wanna like look at any numbers. I didn't want a spreadsheet. I didn't wanna talk about it. I didn't wanna open mail. And then now I'm like past that part of my fear of that. And I just, yeah, but I still couldn't add it up because it's kind of a scary number.
0: Lee, so here's a question that I had kind of, there was a second question from something that we mentioned a couple minutes ago is that, and it's on the team element and you mentioned it kind of a couple of times and I've commended you for how you've built out some like A really fantastic culture and a really fantastic team of people that work for you. Do you want to speak more to that? Sure. The babes?
1: Um, The babes. Yeah, (laughs) we call ourselves the big eddy babes. Um, My parents have called me babe since I was like an actual babe, like a little baby. So (laughs) they still call me babe. And so I just like, it's like an endearment term for me. So then um, I started calling the my staff babes and then I got hoodies made for Christmas and they say babe on the arm and yeah we're the big eddy babes so they are there's five of them and three full-time two part-time and then myself and yeah it's just like I spend so much time at the glass shop that I'd love to be having a good time as often as possible and so I've yeah, they're all very fun and very talented and very cool. And a a couple of them didn't know they were gonna do glass ever in their life until they started working at the shop. And now they're all, everybody makes stuff. It's so awesome. Mm. And then we have, I think really, a really good thing that I didn't know would be so good is this Friday happy hour that we do on Instagram. And in January, 2021, the first day of January was a Friday. And so I decided to do um, happy hour and I talked to my team and I said, like, we're going to do this every Friday at 4.30 or at three or something, whatever time I wanted. But one of the staff was like, can it be at 4.30 so I can come after my other job or whatever? And I just wanted to use the glassware that we make in an actual setting because we always show it at the glass shop and it's empty, you know, Mm -hmm. and then my house like... It's not um we're not on pinterest you know what i'm saying in my house like it's (laughs) pretty bad lighting and radio i have two cats that just want it are insisting on destroying everything in the house so i don't have a house where we can take photos you know for the website or for social media or anything like that so i thought what if we just take we make cocktails we like to drink cocktails and then we'll see what happens at the end of the year i'll write a cookbook or like a cocktail book so now we're halfway through year two and I still don't have a book, but we've done every single Friday a so different many cocktail <laughs> since January 1st. So we have 52 of 2021 and then however many Fridays we've had. So I think that's been a really good team building. And that was just like kind of accidentally brought us together in this other way where we, people that aren't working on a Friday or it's their day off, they want to come in and have happy hour. So That's very fun. And I think that's, yeah, brought us all together as a little unit.
0: Yeah. Hmm. How do you create a culture where people want to come in to their place of work and hang out with their coworkers when they're not at work on a Friday night? I know. It's amazing. (laughs) I feel so lucky, honestly,
1: sometimes I just can't even believe it. Um, Yeah. I mean, I know like you bring in the people that you want to be around and you attract what you're looking for and yeah the earlier when you said glass half full or glass half empty I'm definitely a half full person um and I just want to have a good time you know there's no point in not having a good time and why not have it with cocktails but so yeah I never made them and there's another thing we do on the first Tuesday of every month we all they all come and nobody's at work at 5 p.m on a Tuesday well I mean we close at six but they come in on their days off and we make beads as a team and we call it team beads. And that's another thing we do on our time off. And I just like, I'm trying to teach them things that um, I know that, especially on the torches, like the flame working side of things, because I've been doing it for 20 years, I've got I've got some skills, you know? Yeah. So every month I show them something new. We have a couple of beers and we have a lot of laughs. And then I think that adds to our company culture. And I try not to overload them too much, like with group time. But we're all good friends now too, you know, which is kind of fun, like socially we hang out, a lot of the babes hang out socially, which is, I mean, it's a dream come true, honestly. It's a dream I didn't even know I had, but now I'm like, yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's hard to achieve. I think it's harder than you make it seem. You make it seem very easy, but a few things that I pulled out of there that was like, you could almost do like Lee's culture and leadership takeaways and from what I got was to try to summarize, because there was quite a few in there, was learning. So mentoring, teaching, you've apprenticed, you mentioned that you've apprenticed, some people um, have taught some of the staff who weren't even glassblowers before. So that's pretty cool, is also offering opportunity for your team. So places where they might come in as a shop manager and then it's like, hey, I kind of wouldn't mind getting into this. I don't need to be hired as a glassblower if I have maybe X, Y, or Z skills, or even just the determination and the want. And then another thing was doing activities together that are real bonding activities. That's pretty cool. Even drinking is fun. (laughs) And keeping it fun is another one. Yeah, there is a lot of takeaways in there. We'll almost have to go back and visit those. I think you should write a book. Okay, great. Amy, was there anything else you got out of there that I'm, what am I missing? There's well, I also them in my like, mind, but now I'm like blanking.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of moments ago, she was like, I really want to send them all on a trip. I can't, but I want to. And even yeah. just like that want shows how much you care.
0: Yes. I,
2: that really failed me. Yeah. And it's not mandatory. These, <laughs> these meetings, yeah. you know, those meetups, cocktail nights. And, um, and it's just by choice. They want to come.
0: Yeah. And I know that you... I know personally, like just from working with you, that you genuinely really care about your team and your staff. And the other one that you mentioned is that everybody is a fit. So hiring people that you get along with, hiring people that are right, hiring people that are the right for both the role, but also the company I think is a huge um, leadership element that's often overlooked. Is they just bring in somebody to fill a seat um, or to fill the role, but not necessarily taking into account, hey, they also really need to be a fit for everybody. Even a big team, like even in large companies, big companies, there's small teams within those. But yeah, I think that's really, that's a really key one that you've nailed.
1: Like luckily, I think, because I, I bring it all down to like, who do I want to hang out with all day? Yeah. Because I'm always at the shop. Although I'm not like, I've been, you know, I take days off now. Remember at the beginning when I said I didn't even like taking time off ever. And now I'm like, this is my work from home day. So it works out really well that, um, you know, I'm not actually at the shop, but I'm there all the time and I want to be there all the time. And I want them to want to be there. Cause yeah, it's work, but like, why not have fun at work? Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's huge.
0: Mm-hmm. And then what is, I like, guess you guys were growing. Was there any point? this is a little bit of a detour, but was there any point where Like there was a breakthrough as you were building, building the shop, building team, building the company. Yeah. Was there like, okay, two months ago we were here and now we're over here. That's a big leap that you went through. Yeah. Um, I think like
1: I have a tendency to try to do like 1000 things at a time and I want to grow this and do this and have a class here. I want like a million things. And so I've been taking a step back lately partially because I like the cash flow in the January, February was so low that I was like, stop it. You don't need to do everything right now. Like the number one thing is payroll. And then also the number one thing is like being true to what we do and what we do is we make glass and we make cups and we have cocktail wear and I don't need to do everything. So I took a step back from like custom orders that don't fit with things that we do. And I took, and I made this priority filling our shelves and the shop looks amazing. And that's, I think that's a breakthrough I just had where I don't have to do so many things. Like it's crazy and there's no growth, you know, it's just like a whole bunch of little things are like chugging along versus if you just focus on one thing or two things, then things happen faster and you know that deep down inside, but then it's still hard to, because sometimes I'm, because I'm drawn or I'm driven by trying to find money to pay my payroll. I feel like if I do lots of things, then I'll have more opportunity to make money, mm-hmm. which is weird. Cause I've never given money a thought in my life of making things. Like I've always had jobs that didn't pay well, but I did them because mm-hmm. I love them. And so now I'm like, I need money. How do I do that? It's, yeah running a company I'm not just isn't just a hobby you know yeah it's a babes. <laughs> yeah the babes it's not their hobby to be here so they need <laughs> they need to pay, gotta pay rent yeah so yeah I, shortening up the, or like taking everything back has really helped us expand
2: I love when I see business owners create boundaries for themselves. I think we all can relate to when starting up a business, we're all yes, men. So like, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll do it. And then you're like, actually, no, I'm taking more energy than it's worth. And then when you do get so focused, that's when it really starts to feel good and work, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's a, a thing that's like, when you're building a business the first few years, is that almost like a necessity? That it's like, hey, I have to say yes or I have to do all like kind of these extra things or as much as I can, as much as I can to, bring, to bring in the money and to produce? Or do you think it's possible to do it from the start to say, this is what we're focusing on. I'm, I'm going to have opportunities that come across my way, come across my path, and I'm going to say no to them at the start when you like need cash flow. What do you think? I think it can work either way. I have friends that,
1: you know, I know a lot of glassblowers and I know some that will never make drinking glasses and they'll never make, you know, ornaments or things like that because they sell in galleries or museums or, you know, they have fancy things like that. So they always stuck by their sort of principles. Whereas I have always been like, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Sure. I, you know, I can do anything. What do you need? I'll do it. But then it's only like in the last couple of months that I've started setting boundaries that I didn't even know I needed to. I was just like, yeah, I can do everything all the time. But then, you know, you have a couple rough days and you're like, why am I doing this? I'm exhausted. I don't want to end up like, you know, mm-hmm. old and sad or I don't know, you know, worn out like physically. So I think it can work both ways, but I've never been a person that had boundaries Mm -hmm. in the beginning so it wouldn't have been possible for me to say no to stuff in the beginning if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah it just wasn't wasn't an option
2: It's also a process I think of like figuring out what works and what doesn't and like Uh, what needs a boundary you don't know what when a boundary needs to be put in until it's like oh that doesn't feel good
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and like even things like I felt for the first year and a half that I was open, like I needed to give every single person who walked in my door a discount, like, but why? Like, I don't expect a discount. I'm, I would never request one, you know? And then now I'm like feeling this, like need to give somebody a discount on something that's $30 because I feel bad. Like, you know how much it cost me to make that $30 thing? Like yeah. 20 years and a lot of money. So that's
2: I'm, a normal experience. I that's relatable for sure. Very yeah. relatable.
1: I can imagine everybody and then I have some friends that are like no hell no
2: which is who you learn from Yeah, you, know? you learn value from that
0: yeah yeah or do if leave the really good friends they're like no no I will be paying full here's price here's my money <laughs> take my money
2: this is yeah
0: <laughs> yeah what is a um I have kind of an interesting question what is is there so you also mentioned kind of like how like different glass almost like hierarchies. Where is there is there a common misconception about glass blowing or your journey that's misunderstood that people might not understand or might just assume. Oh, people
1: assume stuff all the time about glass blowing. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Um number one a lot of people think they've like glass blowing is like the people at the fair that'll make little animals and things like that so they're like oh my cousin does that and they're standing in my shop and they're like my neighbor has this I'm like your neighbor doesn't have this like
2: <laughs>
0: most neighbors don't have this but so people are you know you're like I know exactly how much this costs and I'm yes. pretty sure your neighbor doesn't have it <laughs>
1: yeah <And laughs> I, I mean maybe they do maybe they did but there's a lot of misconceptions around what glassblowing is I think in general and you know what, actually, since Blown Away has happened on Netflix, have you guys watched it? I have. That yeah, like, has changed the game for glassblowing, I feel, because it's like not everybody has a glass shop in their town, right? And, you know, like we're lucky we do, I think we're lucky. I'm lucky I moved to Invermere that had a glass shop. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen it in Mexico, or I've seen it in Europe. And, but like, not everybody has a glass shop. And now with Netflix, like lots of people can watch it, but then also lots of people think it looks so easy that they can do it, which is so weird to me. But who thinks it looks easy? There's three
0: I people in any capacity is like that is like the least DIY thing in the world.
2: It looks <laughs> hot and stressful, like none yeah. of it
0: looks relaxing. I know,
1: and they edit it for sure, reality TV to make it look so expedited. Dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah but when the like 15... a piece br- breaks i learned what the annealer is from that show i learned like a lot i'm like oh i understand so much more now about the process and what happens
1: yeah yeah it's so cool i think that's really helped um and then but like the bead making part of things which you know we have a huge like s- half of my shop is set up for people to make beads and take classes and that in the m- mostly people think it's got to be easy because it's small yeah. And so a lot of times people come in and they're like, I'm going to be so good at this. Like, I want to make this thing that they f- pick up off our shelves. And we're like, yeah, well, we'll start here. We'll start with like a basic, you know, but yeah. And then people, yeah, just don't realize how hard it is because when you watch somebody who's good at something or who's done it for half their life and they're very good at it, it looks easy. And so sometimes when we are, you know, people are talking to me about it or they take a workshop and they're like, this is hard. I'm like, do you ever look at a guitar and think you could like wail away on a solo? How about a piano? How about, you know, anything? Why would you think what I'm doing? Because I can, my hands move smoothly, but it took 20 years for my hands to be that smooth. So, it's <laughs> and working in the public, you know, I'm like, we purposely built it so people could come in and hang out and watch us and take classes and ask questions. And so, um, people assume stuff when they come into your office, I guess, you know, yeah. like, I don't go to your office and criticize how you work, but.
0: <laughs> oh, that accounting looks super easy. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had
1: someone one day come into the glass shop and say, that looks super tedious. And I was like, what do you do for a living? <laughs> like, I guarantee it would be tedious to me. Yeah. Molten glass, no big whoop. No big deal. So yeah. boring. Yeah. Ugh, bored. What
0: could you yeah. possibly do? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so cool. And then what have you learned about uh, like teaching people then? Both like public, because you do bead workshops, you do date nights where you can come and do um, a date night with your partner, which Scott and I have um, yes. on our list to do, which I'm super excited and I mean, you also do regular workshops people can come yeah. and make make their own thing with obviously with you guys what have you learned about teaching or teaching staff so teaching public or teaching staff across the board I know that's been a big part of your journey um, too. Teaching, mm-hmm. you know what teaching people like that don't know
1: anything because most people don't like you know they start you start from scratch and the thing that I've learned the most is that everybody learns things in a different way and hears things in a different way and sees things in a different way so every class that i would teach when somebody wouldn't understand me i just learned to like adjust my language so that you can make it understandable to people because what we're doing is so foreign like yeah you don't just accidentally have glass experience you know like unless your neighbor does have one in their garage like who's to say (laughs) but um yeah so it just i feel like learning how to teach people makes me better glassmaker because then I'm thinking about things in like so many different ways and different angles and trying to get people to understand like how to move their body then it makes me rethink about how I move my body and yeah so I think it's helpful and a lot of people don't really love teaching beginners but um yeah you just have to look at every experience as a learning opportunity really yeah even might sound cliche but I do it
0: Yeah. yeah yeah And that attitude, like the humbleness, is probably a big also contributor to being a good teacher. Mm -hmm.
1: I think so. Nobody wants to be looked down on because they don't know how to do something. Like the reason you take a class, so you learn something. You know,
0: go idiot. Yeah. (laughs) Um. How long do you think it took you to get competent? Is it like the ten thousand hours? Thing where you're like okay here I go now it's like I don't have to think as much about glass blowing. it's like walking or a sport when you get really good at it where it's not like you're thinking about every single step and trying not to mess that up how long do you think that took for you
1: it takes years honestly I don't know how many because there comes a day where you stop thinking about that one thing and you're just doing it yeah. you know and then a lot of it is the fact that I had to work in the public since the very first thing I ever made there was people at having glass works because their shop was set up very similarly to mine now and so there's just always somebody talking to you so I think being able to like talk and work helped but it still just takes years and years until you're you know but then sometimes you're like on autopilot and my assistants are just like because when they're when you're helping in the glass shop you're called an assistant and so they're less like where are you going right now I'm like oh sorry I don't know just like on autopilot sometimes yeah, but yeah, also going like, through coffee. the muscle
0: memory like it's yeah. taken over yeah yeah years so many years yeah. yeah yeah oh that's so cool um is there anything that you would have this is a weird question but anything that you would have changed or done differently looking back now or is it like everything Nailed like <laughs> in my whole career or in the big eddy glassworks in your career,
1: yeah. I think actually, I think what I, I would have done differently is I would have, um, like I had a tendency when I first started out, if, if I made something and people really liked it, I would just stop making it because I'm like, ew, I don't want to know. <laughs> so, silly. so then, but then like, it the alternatively, now, to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you like that, yuck. But then I would also, sometimes I would find, make something I really liked and then I would make a million of them and then no one will buy them. Mm. So I think I would have paid attention to that more in the beginning because sometimes I was like, "Well, I'm an artist, you know. I make. If you don't like it, it's because you have bad taste or some bullshit like that." Yeah.
2: Sorry, I swear.
1: Um, we're, <laughs> we're explicit podcast. Okay, good, <laughs> great. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think I would have maybe taken more of that into consideration, and that comes down to not thinking about money except as a way to buy more glass so I could make more glass Mm -hmm. so instead of like oh if I make more money I could buy a bike you know like instead of trying to make a business out of it from the beginning I was just making things and then buying more materials and making more things so I think I would have paid attention a little bit more
0: yeah yeah so following okay oh interesting I made this thing and all of a sudden everybody wants it it's like I think it's hideous but I guess (laughs) that's what the masses love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: another thing that I've learned lately, I learned two things actually very recently. And one is that I've always want everything to be perfect, even though I know I'm not perfect. And even though I don't love perfect things, I've always, I'm like, I feel like a failure or like a bad person if my stuff isn't perfect. And even though that's crazy, I know that, but we made, um, cause we're starting this glass fusing program and so I had a friend from Invermere a well-known glass maker a little demo for us our name's Leslie Rowe Israelson and he brought these molds and we love these molds and then they made these like perfect pendants and I was like they're just too perfect and they look like you just bought them at the store they don't look like which I know I have a store but they look like you just bought them anywhere and not like somebody handmade them with um intention you know, yeah. so I've learned that I don't actually need to be perfect, even though I knew it, if that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the other one, I just lost, I lost my own train of thought, but it was about, what were we talking about first? Sorry.
0: Oh, like, what the, what um, yeah, like what you've learned about um, that you would. Oh do again. yeah. Yeah. Or sorry. Yeah. If you could change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. if
1: I could change anything, it would be going back and disliking the things that I made that weren't perfect.
0: Yeah. And then,
1: cause when I give it to some, when I would give, you know, like a cup that I thought was hideous, I would give it to a friend and then I would go over to their house later. And I'd be like, Oh God, that get that thing out of your house. And they're like, but I love this thing. Don't take that away from me. And so I would stop being an a-hole about all the things that I made when I was first learning, because they're special and they got me to where I am and everything's a process and people love that stuff yeah. and you, I'll never be able to make something like that again like when I try if I was to go and try make something I made like when I was one year or two years in it would be literally impossible because your hands don't work that way anymore so yeah. there's a couple lessons there that I've learned very recently like you'd think I would have learned them sooner but mm-hmm. we all learn things when we learn them
0: yeah. And that's the whole appeal for a lot of people for something handmade. It's like, hey, I'm getting something that has energy and blood and sweat and tears and love and uniqueness and creativity that's poured into it. It didn't come out of a mold. Every every cup is going to look a little bit different. The colors are going to be mixed differently. Yeah. I, I don't know. I appreciate that. I think anybody who buys things that are handmade definitely appreciates that. That's the that's the appeal. <laughs> yeah. And you have some of the funkiest
1: stuff that you find in my shop. You're always like, Ooh, I want this because it's so different. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. The eclecticness too. Um, cause you have some really cool stuff. I have your latitude glass here, right? That's an old, we don't even make those like that anymore,
2: So that's a good now one. It's rare. Yeah. yeah it's
0: rare. <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be selling it on ebay in like 30 years and paying for izzy's college tuition yeah do it <laughs> this
1: one is one i made these for the babes every mm-hmm. year i take them on a paddleboard trip just from the boat launch in revel soak downtown revel kind of to six mile or eight mile mm-hmm. and i make like a basket of snacks and cocktails and things like that and then we rob drops us off at the boat launch and then we go it takes four hours to float down there so i made everybody these glasses and i made them obviously with their help and while they were in the shop and i was like i'm just prototyping i just need six of these cups <laughs> like <laughs> six of us don't worry about it <laughs> we're like uh we're on to you but okay <laughs> yeah i don't think they are i think i'm yeah. gonna have to start being sneakier somehow but i've gotten them a couple times and they're like why do you need six extra everybody gets cups? a day off today
2: yeah. i got
0: stuff to do yeah. like just today now we make six of everything (laughs) Exactly. how has um you mentioned rob yeah your husband um i know rob i know you i love Mm -hmm. you guys both the allisons how has he supported you on your journey and this is a like obviously a question that i know that he supported you so much um Mm -hmm. tell us about just how what that's been like and how it's been helpful or not. It's, good.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's so helpful. It's funny because sometimes, especially we're in when we're in like a real challenging moment, we're like, someday someone's when we're on a podcast, like you know how I built this or whatever. Like this is our origin story right now. We just like try to remember yeah. how dark this day is because one day we're we'll like, remember how hard that was, and it was like, <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: no, he's like, I couldn't do this without him, honestly so supportive, so helpful, so invested. He's maintenance babe at the shop, but also shipping babe and errands babe. Yeah. He does a lot. Mm -hmm. It's good. He's so handy. Like he's very handy and very into it. I'm yeah, I'm lucky. I know some couples, maybe when one partner isn't as supportive and then they're like, do this on your own. You wanted to do this thing. Good luck to you. You know, and it makes, breaks my heart when that, you know, when I hear that, because yeah, we're a team, like yeah, more than anything, we're on the same team and we have the same vision. And, oh yeah, you asked about the vision earlier about the glass shop.
0: Yeah. Why don't we t- tell us about that?
1: Yeah. Do you want to? Okay. I'm not taking up too much time. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So Big Eddie Glassworks is currently one building that is one story, but when we bought it, it needed a new roof. And so we just put a temporary roof on like a six-year roof. So we're going to be close to that. And then we have to take the roof off and build a new one. But since we're taking it off, we want to build a second story and then build some studio spaces for other artists to rent in town. Because the amount of people that can be packed into Revelstoke, like in, you know, where there's houses that have six people living and they're building lots of new apartments and stuff. Not everybody has a space. Mm -hmm. Like I'm lucky enough, our house is like weird old Revelstoke house. So I have space upstairs to have like a studio um, for the other things that I do. But where else do you paint or make jewelry or things like that? The space, the, the inventory is limited in this town. So we want to build some artist studio spaces for people to rent. And then when we bought the building, it came with two other buildings. So it was two properties. And we had to buy them all at once. And we're going to turn the middle one into a factory for glass blowing. So I have currently one set up like one of everything in my shop and I want to have about six of everything. So I'll need one larger furnace that holds about 400 pounds of molten glass and then six benches and six of everything. And then, um, a place for people to have jobs because there's not a lot of jobs in Canada because there's hardly any shops Mm -hmm. and a lot of people in Canada in particular, if you want a glass shop, you have to build your own. So I want to have jobs and artists, visiting artists and classes for people like us, because also I don't get to take classes very often unless I go to the States,
2: Mm -hmm. which has been
1: challenging in the last couple of years. So I would love to take a class and I know my glassblowers would love to take a class. So I want to bring in some world-class instructors to teach classes for people that have got a lot more experience than the public that we teach. And um, yeah, we have a food truck coming. She'll be here April or may 4th may the 4th be with you yeah and um we have a party because in may there is the only friday the 13th of 2022 and it's my birthday and we're having a big party Mm -hmm. with lots of food trucks and djs and things i just yeah we just want to expand and have more and more art and have like a destination so now we have a block that we own that we're going to turn into a big art place for people to come and watch it being created buy it you know yeah. And then we'll expand the glass shop now to have a big beautiful gallery that will include everybody on the property.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. 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 Wow. It's that's gonna good. be it's gonna be such an amazing hub for artists and creativity. And shopping. <laughs> yeah, and shopping. Because
1: okay. how fun, you know, when you go to a small town and you find like where the farmer's market is and like where all the cool shops are, you know, there'll also be a zone where you can find blacksmithing and glass blowing and all kinds of fun things
2: oh, yeah and well,
1: food yeah. and electric car chargers which we hope to get to and yeah just like a zone where people can come and hang out and watch cool things happen yeah. and try them out yourself too
0: oh geez that's gonna be awesome um i can't wait i can't wait yeah. <laughs> super exciting um okay so let's do our closing questions okay we have one is, what is the most average thing about you? That's our normalizing average question? How we end each show? I know. I've still, I've been thinking about this whole time. <laughs> I feel like my wardrobe.
1: Okay. Something, like so average, like just jeans and t-shirts.
0: Like yeah.
1: yeah. My makeup yeah. average too. Just mascara <laughs> and jeans. That's all I have. Yeah. And sports. I'm average at sports. I guess. <laughs> In this town like that's such a big thing but then also i feel like being in this town like our average is probably still it's not what i did when i grew up in the
0: prairies let me tell you yeah i was gonna say your average at sports is gonna be like another person's advanced for sure
1: <laughs> <laughs> just compared to all the pros that live in this town yeah. you're like yeah, an average
0: yeah yeah <laughs> leave it to revelstoke so that when you think you're like crushing it you're like i'm re- doing really well this season and then somebody comes along crushing it.
1: A so six year old. A like, yeah, <laughs> oh, six yeah. year old You're
0: like, yep, yeah. okay. Yeah, I, I forgot where I was. Yeah. <laughs> and then um the last question is just how can people find and get a hold of you? So any um like Instagram handle, website, how can we buy your stuff? How can we support you? How can we find you, follow you, and watch you blow glass live.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. We are our website is bigityglassworks.ca and our Instagram is at Baghtty Glassworks. I think everything. our TikTok is at Bigetty Glassworks, Facebook page, Bigetty Glassworks, Twitter, we have a Twitter. I mean, we're not active on everything because it's too much, but we're very active on Instagram. And um, yeah, we blow glass live every Wednesday at noon where I make something I've never made before in some capacity. So we do that every week. and then every Friday at four thirty we make a cocktail. And this April's theme is April sours. So I'm actually up on Friday and I have, I have to make some sort of sour. Ariel made a tequila sour last week. It was delicious. We've had a lot of good sour cocktails. And then May, we don't know the theme of May yet. Oh, it's either going to be Mayhito or May-mosa. <laughs> 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 yeah, we always have a cocktail book. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll have to get that going. I need to hire, I don't know. I need more help. <laughs> yeah and then we do have a semi regular newsletter no i mean like we've had we have a newsletter that sometimes has come out so we were working on that as well <laughs> you can sign up on our
0: website and keep track of us that way okay yeah perfect Sweet. lee thank you so much thank you um, lee. anybody forgot oh. any of that biggity glass works search it consistency yeah Yeah. (laughs) well we can't thank you enough and also can't commend you enough for for what you've built and Mm -hmm. it's just it's so exciting it's so and I just can't wait for the vision
2: yeah the vision for the future
0: keep keep building and keep growing it's gonna be so awesome both for Revelstoke but I think also for the glass community it's pretty cool Mm -hmm. and the artist community yeah
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on, you guys. It's fun. Love you guys and what you're doing. This is
2: so cool.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, Lee. And thanks to anybody else who, or anybody who's tuning in and who's listened to our podcast, Normalizing Average. And that's it. Stay tuned for the next episode.